Jack Shepard. Sushtakaryo. What about him? Saeed Jarrah. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 602, entitled LAX Part 2. This is the 105th episode of the series, and there are 16 to go. A quick feedback reminder that you can always say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbacklost.podbean.com. And call the listener line, 732-707-1815. And last but certainly not least, you can email me at lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. And that indeed is what Maureen did earlier this week. And uh, she shares the following correction. She says, I know this is late, but FYI, the email in episode 517 by Marty, who theorized that Smokey was uh, an amalgam of both the man in black and the malevolence of the island was correct this is the explanation for Smokey that you will find in the lost encyclopedia which the lost producers have said is canon if i remember correctly you said you received this book for christmas look on page 328 maureen goes on to say also in the book is a vindication of ben to a certain extent he was not responsible for the purge of dharma that was widmore ben did not banish widmore that was Jacob's call. Widmore also massacred the survivors of the Ajira flight. Maureen wraps up and says, Love your podcast, but it took me ages to figure out I was listening to a current podcast and not reruns of an old. Well, certainly, thank you very much, Maureen, for that, uh, for that uh, email there. Certainly a wonderful point. Also, uh, I, I should have recorded this episode um, before I received your email. That certainly was the intention when I watched 601 and 602 together. Uh, but here we are. The podcast needs to go live in, let's see, normally what? It's 8.15 Pacific. Uh, so there's less than three hours right now. It's 8.07 p.m. Eastern uh, that this is being recorded. So I'm certainly glad to have shared your email. And in fact, I'll stop recording right now to go get my lost encyclopedia. And I'm back. Thank you. Pause button. By the way, I'll mention as I open up to page 328 here that uh, this was given to me by Pete, who many of you know from the... Uh, various uh, PH Geek podcasts that I have done with him, uh, such as the Alcatraz podcast, the now uh, done with Revolution podcast on account of the show being largely uncompelling. Uh, and while I'm flipping here, I'll just mention that uh, some of you may be interested. We are launching the, uh, the Shield podcast for the forthcoming show on ABC, uh, which uh, we'll start that well, actually, that's available right now, shieldpodcast.blogspot.com, as well as on iTunes. You can search for PH Geek and find it there. But let's see, page 328 here. Um, indeed, here we go, the first bit. It's under Smoke Monster. When Jacob threw his brother into the heart of the island, the consequence was the creation of the Smoke Monster. The man in black spirit became fused with the all-powerful force that lay hidden inside the island's heart, a source of malevolence, evil, and darkness. In his purest form of hate and rage, the man in black as a smoke monster was seemingly unstoppable. Um, the smoke monster was a purely instinctual being that simply acted first with no conscience and no remorse. Um, I won't disagree with Maureen that this has been called canonical. Um, I see there's the foreword here by Lindelof and Cuse. Um, I still think, though, that there's room for some interpretation um, I guess I'm not trying to backtrack away from this notion that, uh, where do I put this giant book while I'm recording? Um, I don't doubt that, that the man, that the smoke monster 
after his death became more than he was in life. I think that much is, is quite, quite obvious. Um, however, I think there's a certain literary or poetic or dramatic justice to say, you know, he's, he was just a man, same as anybody else. The smoke monster is just a man granted with these unique, special powers. But again, whether you, I mean, you can connect it to, 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 to the world's religions, whether it's the, 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 the prophets of, uh, of, of the Jewish faith, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Muhammad. I mean, these are all people who, who were born as men, as people, as average, uh, as, you know, as average people. And I'm not trying to take away, uh, you know, certainly some of the uh, special things surrounding their birth, you know, uh, what I'm saying is born human um, and then, you know, rising up, born one of us and then ascending to these heights of of leadership, of godliness, etc. I think there's a certain I'm I'm attracted to the notion that that evil on the island, the evil that can can topple us all is the evil that is in all of us. And one of those people who maybe was a little bit more uh, vengeful or meaner or whatever, that uh, one day that got the better of him, he died and he was handed these special and awful powers, just as Jacob was handed these powers of good. I personally take solace in that. Um, That's not to say that there wasn't some, I mean, certainly the source is such a fuzzy thing that that it can be many things in the story and and is there malevolence and goodness from the source sure uh i personally see when they're actually down at the source i see them and i don't mean this as a joke i see them quite quite liberally borrowing from uh the end of star trek 2 but we'll certainly talk about that uh in 16 episodes time or so but um it uh it certainly is food for thought there from Maureen and uh, some great, great discussion indeed, courtesy of her. And with that, let's now jump into the Wikipedia summary for this episode, 602 LAX Part 2. In 2004, the flash sideways. After the plane lands safely at LAX, Jack is informed that the airline has lost his father's coffin. Kate escapes custody of the marshal and hijacks a taxi cab in which Claire Littleton is also a passenger. Jin is detained after he fails to declare a large amount of cash on his customs form. His partner, Sun, who claims she can't speak the English, does nothing to help the situation. Jack speaks with Locke, who notes that his own luggage has also been misplaced. They discuss Locke's condition, which Locke tells him is irreversible. Jack responds that nothing is irreversible, reveals that he is a spinal surgeon, and offers Locke a free medical consultation. In 2010, the original timeline, at the statue, the man in black tells Ben what Locke's final thoughts were, and explains that his own true goal is to return home. The man in black finds this ironic because Locke wanted desperately to stay alive and live on the island. Outside, Richard sees the fireworks from the temple, The man in black confronts Richard, who realizes who the man is, but the man in black quickly knocks him out and announces that he is disappointed in the others as he carries Richard into the jungle. And indeed, at the temple, the group encounters the remaining members of the others uh, who have taken refuge, including Flight 815 stewardess Cindy and the two abducted children, Zack and Emma, who have been missing since they were taken by the others. The survivors are captured and brought before two men, Dogen, Japanese man, and his translator, Lennon. Hurley tells them that Jacob sent him and offers the guitar case as proof. Inside is a wooden ankh, which Dogen breaks open, revealing a note that tells the others they will all be in trouble if Saeed dies. Saeed is brought to a spring, noted to have gone murky, where he is held underwater until the time of an hourglass passes. Jack administers CPR, but Saeed does not respond. They believe Saeed has died. Sawyer and Miles are brought into the temple, having been captured after burying Juliet. Dogen questions Hurley in a separate room, where Hurley reveals Jacob is dead. Shocked by this news, the others sound an alarm, prepare their defenses, and send fireworks into the air in preparation for an attack. Lennon insists on speaking with Jack privately, 
Jack refuses, leading to an altercation, when suddenly Saeed comes back to life. And with that uh, quite well done Wikipedia summary, let's now move to my thoughts about the episode. This, of course, again, we're kind of in that somewhat sticky territory of uh, it having been written as a two-hour episode, presented initially as a two-hour episode, and now, of course, it's been um, split up for at least some home video purposes, and of course, the home video uh, of which I am working off is uh, is Netflix. So with that, here we go. There is a, uh, a quick recap stated rather directly, meaning that uh, the attempt to uh, stop the crash didn't work, but it appears it did, and Juliet dies, and all that's done with some lovely, apparently original Giacchino music. Um, quite nice. Uh, the episode proper uh, opens with Dharma, the van having arrived just near the temple, and wonderfully, Sawyer is taking off his Dharma jumpsuit, and there's this very, very clear message sent to the audience that, you know, that part of the story is now over. The Dharma bit is done with. Similarly, not even similarly, it's the same with Hurley now in his red shirt. Dharma is gone. It is, of course, the return, uh, or at least the initiation of Hurley in a red shirt, making us concerned for him. Uh, anyhow, there's a lovely bit of foreshadowing at this point, with Sir needing help to bury Juliet. He asks Miles to stay, and Miles says, whatever you need, boss. There they are, sheriffs for life and afterlife. With that, the group has, again, split. Hurley, Kate, Jack, Saeed, and Jin enter the temple wall, or rather go under it. I had to wonder if this was, in fact, just a handy bit of money saving since they already had that set. And, um, you know, they already had the exterior wall. They already had the interior Temple of Doom bit. Um, seems like a nice way to do things. Nice way to maybe fill up some time when you're sketching out a two-hour episode. Have the whole, you know, journey through the tunnel. Um, they quickly find and recap Montan's death and skeleton, who says Lost has no payoffs. And in a nicely harrowing moment, uh, they tiptoe their way around the hole through which Ben fell. And that action in and of itself serves to amp up the tension nicely, especially once Kate is suddenly spinning around and missing. Things get worse and worse in the Temple of Doom as our heroes apparently are picked off one by one by barely seen others. It really just feels like such familiar territory. Here we are back, season two. There's no bushes for uh, Jin and Echo to hide in this time. You know, it's it's just <laughs> these straight stone walls. Um, I'll mention again, major dramatic uh, purpose of of all this tension I don't exactly know. Could they have just walked right in? Could they have been captured quicker? Yeah. I think it's just you need to f sketch out that two-hour episode carefully. You need to have a little bit of cushion here and there. And you say, great, if we shoot some stuff of them getting uh, getting uh, chased and you know mysteriously caught in the uh, in this temple of doom, then then it's all the better. Then you kind of have something to, to kick the second hour off with uh, in terms of tension. And uh, if you need to maybe have a little bit less of it for timing's sake, well, then that's an area to cut away from as well. Anyhow, how do they wrap up this uh, stunning bit of chase here? Jack gets a punch to the face. And with that, he passes out. So it's time for the title card. After it, uh, we are in the flash sideways where Marshall Mars... that name never seems to work as a side note i just prefer to call him the marshal i feel like i call him the marshal so much you dear listeners are going to be worried that there's not uh you know that it's not the credibility and i don't know his name is edward mars but marshall mars just sounds like i don't know stick with the marshal the marshal and kate are going through customs and kate professes that she needs to go tinkle wee uh, then with that, she produces her pen. Hey, that's the pen that Jack said he thought he had in part one. It's so nice at this point that the show doesn't spell out every last little bit of it. Would it, would it work best if these two episodes are viewed concurrently? Yes. Uh, does it make a huge difference that they're now split up on home video? 
not so much. You watch at your own pace. Are you going to necessarily watch all the two-hour episode? Maybe yes, maybe no. Either way, if you're not sure where she got it from, you probably shouldn't be watching the show. Or you can just say, oh, I don't care. She clearly got it from somewhere because she's Kate and she's resourceful. They're not spelling it out. It's season six after all. It's plain Jane. It's, well, I shouldn't say plain Jane. It's asking you to keep up. And if you don't, then you don't particularly wonder where she got the pen from. Uh, as she has this pen trying to use it to get out of her cuffs, there's a great great ratcheting up of the tension as her pen loses the spring then the marshal finds it and from his banging on the stall door to her beating him up it's just a great explosion of the tension the tension gets built 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 and then he's hitting and then boom she's knocking him out and it's an especially nice touch dear listeners that he hits his head on the sink right on the point where his gun case cracked his head open in season one. Same, is it his his left side? Uh, really, really nice touch. With that, Kate strips him of his jacket, uh, which seems curious at first, but then quickly becomes apparent that it's to cover her cuffs, and she's out of there. Not quite sure why she didn't go fishing around for his, uh, for his key. I know there is the... Um, there's people coming into the bathroom quickly. She can hear them coming. She says, you know, oh, he tried to, you know, he came in here. He tried to get fresh. And uh, I'm just so upset. I need to leave this room. I don't remember the exact timing. She probably, I'll say this. If they're going to write in two people coming to the room, uh, that's probably the purpose. So she can't look for the key. She has to think quick, take his jacket and run out of there. So there you go. Regardless, Kate is, surprise, surprise, on the run. She barely catches the elevator, which is held by Sawyer. It's a fun little scene, even more so, knowing as we do now that Sawyer is a good guy cop. Um, or at least mostly a good guy cop, because he glimpses Kate's cuffs and just doesn't care. When the elevator car gains two TSA agents and a 341 comes in over the radio, Sawyer laughs it off, and prevents the men from leaving before, ladies first, Kate leaves. It's nice to see that even though he's a cop in this reality, uh, he's still a bit of a rogue. I mean, we wouldn't expect anything else. And indeed, what's the dramatic function for first-time viewers? We just think he's the same Sawyer. Uh, and the fact that he's a cop is not known to first-time viewers, so the fact that he's helping out a, you know, a fellow uh, ne'er-do-well comes as no surprise. It's, If anything, this is setting up the surprise later on that he is on the side of law and order. Anyhow, with that, sideways over, we've uh, gone back to... Uh, you know, we've, we've continued this pattern of do a flash sideways, follow multiple people, follow one of them out back into the island storyline, so we were with Sawyer sideways over Sawyer is done burying the body and the show foreshadows uh, the sideways the fact the nature of the sideways again uh, with Miles calling Sawyer boss you know they're remembering the good times and Sawyer saying that uh, Miles isn't his deputy anymore of course maybe not in this life but in the future now as a side note as Sawyer asks Miles to do his ghost whisper a bit to find out what Juliet wanted to say, Miles is spectacularly lit by what I'm assuming is natural sunlight. His left eye, which is on screen right, is almost half glowing with the light's odd angle. It's just one of those things that, would you set out to do it like that? Probably not. The fact that you have the sun in a certain position, the director sees it, you know, the cinematographer sees it, people just go with it, and if it gives you some sort of weird lighting, which again, you know, the, his two eyes are lit differently, you just say, you know what, <laughs> it's God's great light, it's the sun shining down, you go with it, it just adds this wonderful reality to to a show that, you know, oftentimes is shooting at night, oftentimes is shooting in some sort of uh, weird locale uh, that is inside, uh, either you know a real inside or a soundstage inside so you just kind of go with the reality of it all 
But anyhow, so what is it that uh, Miles can, can get from Juliet's body? The message from Juliet is it worked. For first-time viewers, it's just a wonderful addition to the confusing mess. For me, though, I saw it unquestionably as her slipping into death, into that constructed world of the Flash sideways. It's a bold hint, actually, that as she dies, she says it worked. Think about that. As she dies, she says it worked. We've seen that it worked in the Flash sideways. The roadmap is there, that it's not a sideways. Rather, you die, then you go to the new there. Anyhow, the story moves to another there, inside the temple wall, where the pretty majestic-looking temple is revealed, down to some blaring horns and the great hurly lion. I guess we found the temple. That takes us to the act break. Then uh, Jack is watching Kate and the marshal uh, move through customs, obviously flash sideways. Uh, Jack is called to the courtesy desk, uh, where what is called his cargo, then revealed to be a coffin, the coffin, for goodness sake, has gone a little, dare I say, lost. Here the show trades on the familiar story that we already know, that we know from season one, because again, there's so much season one and six mirror each other so intentionally. Um, the flash sideways are obviously what happens after you land. The flashbacks from season one, so many of them are what happened right before the plane took off, or on the plane. Um, what happened before the crash. And um, we know the plan. We know Jack's plan to land in LAX, to have the hearse come to the Carmack, to take the body to the funeral home, to do it all in one day. We remember the scene at the Oceanic uh, uh, counter there, uh, with Jin looking on, with Sun looking on, etc. And here the show is referring back to that. They're trading it. Um, the real truth is unsurprisingly hidden at this early point in the season what is this real truth well i can only assume that it's that his father you know in this constructed reality in this afterlife his father doesn't want to be found yet and it has a ripple effect through this constructed reality because of course you know it's it's ultimately a show about daddy issues and uh you know dad's not going to give you that information until you're until you're ready with that, the story moves back to the temple with, at this particular moment, little pretense of connecting the two stories together, uh, other than by way of characters, as I mentioned, Sawyer Island, Sawyer Sideways, you know, so on and so forth. Um, anyhow, there's a great wide shot as they're conventioning the temple that shows an aptly jungly other Cindy, but only for a second. They hold off on the reveal until just a few moments later, uh, to be sure. But there's just kind of that moment where as you're kind of scanning the screen as a whole, looking for your little clues, it's like, oh, oh, is that, is that? And then you kind of, you get that payoff. How far we've come. Here's how the seasons one and six are different. They're willing to pay off some of that stuff in a matter of seconds. Anyhow, with that, uh, just as Dogen, who at this point in the episode is still unnamed, just as he's ready to have them all shot, who steps up it's hurley who calls out jacob's name who has the proof that they are who they say they are hurley as that pesky guitar case uh can can have proof of the guitar case that's been hanging around for a huge number of episodes and it's revealed to hold the wooden egyptian ankh i'm sure you understand my point here who is stepping up to represent the group hurley to keep the group safe hurley to back it up, not just with emotion or with a live-together, die-alone speech, but with actual proof, Hurley. Hurley ascendant to his to taking his place. Anyhow, inside that Ankh is the mysterious piece of paper. The scene is clearly meant to leave us feeling confused. Uh, the names of all our heroes are stated, and with that they're allowed to stay, and the paper is said to have uh, pushed the importance of Saeed not dying. It's just kind of this, I don't know, this this mishmash of what in the world is going on. And of course, 
you can kind of see the construction to it. If the paper said Saeed can't die, then they want everybody's name and they go through all of them and Dogen and company are not hearing the name Saeed and the last name to come is that of Saeed and it's like, ooh, hold on guys, if this is the Saeed, it needs to be kept okay, the Saeed who's important, who are these other people with him? We don't know, but if they're connected to him and he's connected to Jacob, then it must be okay. Anyhow, with that, there's an act break uh, and then a repeat of Jin's Rolex, at least a repeat shot. Um, although that's what it looks like initially. It looks like it's being looked at again from the plane, but it is not, in fact, a recycled shot. It's Jin at Customs, which certainly is an area that they're getting tons of mileage out of, by the way. Uh, the contents of his bag, oodles of money in the watch, are questioned, and with that, Sun and Jin are separated. There's seemingly not a lot of there there to these scenes, not to overuse the word there. Um, certainly how they fit into the larger story comes off as a bit of a what if at this point. Um, which again, one of the things I'm interested in looking at during the course of this season is how important are the flash sideways now that we know that to a certain degree they're just kind of a, you know, since they are a constructed reality within the world of the show. Uh, unlike the reality of the island story, what's the dramatic function of them? Well, to give character shading, okay, that's fine. That's what the side, uh, the, the, the flashbacks and the flash forwards uh, did. Um, but also, there's a bit of a dramatic delay that they cause. I mean, why is it that they all couldn't couldn't suddenly see each other on the plane and say, Aha, this is it. And Christian comes out and says, congrats, let's have our final speech. Why? Because they want to do that at the end of the season, not the beginning. So you filled out with this character stuff. Not a huge complaint. Character stuff is good stuff. Uh, but let's just be clear on that that's what the function is. The function is to have one last big season-long mystery, which is a great mystery. I remember... Perhaps it was finale night. Perhaps it was the second to last episode. I don't quite remember. Probably it was finale night. Getting this sense that things were coming together. That I could start to see the edges. You know, as these couples started to, to, to wake up and see each other as they were again. So it's effective. But let's just be clear that it's, you know, it's 17 episodes of, of delay. So on the 18th, uh, you can you can have that payoff. There's nothing really that requires you to to not have um, the final episode's uh, Flash Sideways story occur earlier, just as with the Season 2 Hatch stuff. There's not really a reason that it all couldn't have been explained, you know, in the first episode. It's just that there was, you know, Desmond with the gun, and the, you know, what does one snowman say to another, and the Desmond running off, and all that. There was constructed things to delay that that's all anyhow um you might think that i don't enjoy the flash sideways stories but of course i i you know i i do um it, it's just you know to, to kind of wrap up the thought it's not we're not given huge answers walkabout lock being revealed in a wheelchair was shocking but it also informed the smooth island leader uh, the that, that dad did it was a good mystery for a great long while, but ultimately it was just more of an explanation as to the broken down John Locke. Um, I think, too, it's safe to make a bit of a distinction between the flashbacks and the flashforwards. The flashforward stories did, after all, explain an important portion of the 815 narrative, the island narrative, even though it was off-island. The flash sideways, you know, they're, they're just amped up in that air of mystery anyhow these character based uh, flash sideways over um, which I guess you know since it was kind of marginally gin related we go back to gin who's at the temple courtyard um, back to the island story after my pontificating um, from the temple courtyard into the magic pool now it's now time to remind everybody we've now returned to the the wet set that the show had do you notice 
how the pool is the same size as that of the looking glass, with walls a similar distance from the pool. It's the same soundstage. It's the same, literally the same construct, the same area you know, in which the uh, things were constructed. With that, the mystery angle is amped up almost to the point of overdoing it. Dogen speaking Japanese and using the interpreter feels like it slows things down. And offhand comments like, the water, it's not clear, and uh, that saving Said comes with risks. These all shade the scene without providing direct illumination to the situation. Similarly, uh, the Said healing bit is almost unnecessarily mysterious. As Said thrashes in the water and looks drowned, can no one say, hey, it's magic water that's going to heal him? Can they? No, apparently not. Now, at this point, I'll mention that I personally am a bit confused as to what the magic water is meant to do. It it doesn't heal Dogen and the slice in his hand, but it does heal Saeed. Uh, I'm also confused why the show chooses to fake kill Saeed for what ultimately is not a lot of time. Uh, perhaps this is a meta hint that, that dead isn't dead for too long this season. I, I don't know. Perhaps it's that People can die and come back, as in the flash sideways. Again, not quite sure. Further, Saeed's presumed death here feels so hollow and unearned that it's almost not believable for first-time viewers. Either that or it's sending the signal that the show has lost some of its potency. And again, if that's the signal, well, great, he comes back still at the end of the hour. But you spend a certain period of time as a first-time viewer going, Boy, I really liked Saeed. Now he's just kind of dead from a gunshot that happened a while ago or something and someone and he now, you know, it was in the 70s. You know, it kind of doesn't feel earned. Um, so it's a weird fake out that they that they do. Um, certainly it doesn't bring a tear to the eye uh, the way that so many of the other character deaths did. Uh, anyway, the act ends with Saeed presumably dead. Um, how do we know that? That's what the long shot tells us. It's a big, wide shot to say, the emptiness of death, he is gone. After the act break, uh, and especially, especially obvious in the commercialist versions, um, it's, it's, it, we see just how dead and gone these characters, um, at least the actors, can be. He's dead on the one side of the act break and then alive in the flash sideways on the other side of the act break. He's just window dressing, though. He passes Kate and it becomes Kate on the run. But still, it's this. It's a nice moment to say, hey, even though somebody's dead, they're not. They're not always dead. The character isn't gone. It's not say goodbye and we're never going to see them again. It's literally Saeed is dead. Go to commercial. Come back. There's Saeed. Anyhow, Kate on the run. Uh, There's a bit of tricky business. She's waiting for a cab, complete, by the way, with Hawaii cars in the background. Hmm, hmm, pretty interesting for LAX. Um, It's clearly a nervous scene as Kate uh, slowly waits to hightail it, albeit with uh, Hurley on a cell phone in front of her, talking about the Outback versus Outback, the restaurant chain. Uh, With that, the marshal sees Kate. Kate jumps in the cab. And in a great bit of camera blocking, the driver literally blocks his previous passenger until there's a wonderful little wraparound shot to reveal Claire, you know, who we haven't seen since the end of season four. Ta-da! It's funny, you don't think of Claire for being gone for an entire season, the way Michael was gone for an entire season. Um, Granted, Claire was gone 15 episodes, Michael... 24 or so um so i mean there's a difference in episode count that is not insignificant the flip side is michael was not on the show for a calendar year uh nor was i guess i mean he didn't then let me back up he then didn't come back until what the seventh or eighth episode into season four which which um i guess increases his amount of time not on the show to probably about 30 or so episodes if not more than 30 compared to claire's 
17 or so, so almost double. Um, still, it kind of doesn't, uh, you know, I mean, maybe it's because of Michael. You know, Michael certainly was more in the forefront of the show in season one, um, in season, well, yeah, in season two with, you know, the betrayal and all that. So, whereas Claire has always been a bit more of a supporting character, had less of those main character moments. But anyhow, Claire is back. Um, now, at this point in the rewatch for the podcast, I will mention, just as I hinted at last week, I realized that I hadn't had any clips yet at this point. This is not due to the fact that it's a poor episode, but between little snippets of flash sideways that serve as intrigue but aren't terribly important, and the mountain of dialogue that's Dogen's Japanese, we are at this point in the in the show's episode, uh, two-thirds through it with no clips yet. I didn't want to force it. That's the bottom line. As I've said many times before, there's that Echo episode season three, is it? Uh, him, he's captured by a bear, and it's just a, it's a perfectly blah episode. It only had three clips. That's kind of my... I feel like I'm in the danger zone if I have less than three clips because there should always be a great ending. That's one clip, and then to only have two other things. So rest assured, we have more than three between now and the end of the uh, the end of the episode. Anyhow, the story returns to a very quiet, very sad uh, scene uh, where the characters are kind of holding their quiet sadness over dead Saeed. Um, in a wonderful moment that does not get oversold, Cindy shows up with the kids, Zach and Emma, that's right, the age 15 tail section kids. Wonderfully well-earned little little moment there. You know, characters that were so important to us briefly. You know, the teddy bear, that perhaps the most frightening, spooky uh, instance of the show, seeing that teddy bear being dragged along by the others as Echo and Jin looked on. You're saying, who are these people? What in the world is going on? Uh, and then... The other 48 days, getting to know them, so on and so forth. It's just nice to, to check in with them. Anyhow, they don't, they certainly don't oversell it, as I said. Uh, right after that moment, Miles, Conscious, and Sawyer, not, are brought in. And with that, our heroes are back together. And the story continues on. Lennon, who is uh, the yet unnamed translator, in fact, Lostpedia says that he's never named on screen. Uh, he gets Hurley to speak with Dogen, and there's an early season six uh, moment for Hurley, again ascendant, with information and calm and cool and control and leadership. And it comes with a clip. He wants to know what Jacob told you. Told me to come here. Said you guys would save Saeed. He was beyond saving. Wait a sec. You're not translating anything I say to him. Which means you totally understand me, dude. I don't like the way English tastes on my tongue. When's Jacob getting here? What do you mean? Is he coming to the temple? I really don't think that's gonna happen, man. Why not? You know, because he's dead. You guys didn't know? I'll repeat again that it's so wonderful to see Hurley growing from the shy season one everyman, someone who was here standing his ground, stating his case, and not to overuse the word, but to, to show that sense of leadership. Anyhow, after the revelation of Jacob being dead, there's all sorts of action, action, action as ash is poured, fires are put out, women are collected and run inside, rockets are filed, uh, fired. All two, we are told, keep him out. Him who? Well, Lost must always walk the line between having a really, really smart audience, uh, which is true, and needing to occasionally spell things out for the people who aren't really, really smart. Thus they cut to lock to make things really, really clear. Keep him out, him who, cut to lock. 
The camera moves to a body being dragged, dragged by Smokey Lock, who then gets some Ben exposition to put everything in order for everybody at home. One, two, three. What are you? I'm not a what, Ben. I'm a who. You're the monster. Let's not resort to name calling. You used me. You couldn't kill him yourself. So you made me do it. I didn't make you do anything. You should know. He was very confused when you killed him. I seriously doubt that Jacob was ever confused. I'm not talking about Jacob. I'm talking about John Locke. Do you want to know what he was thinking while you choked the life out of him, Benjamin? What the last thought that ran through his head was? I don't understand. Isn't that just the saddest thing you ever heard? You know, it is sad indeed. It's a reminder, as Smokey then continues to monologue, that Locke was a broken, sad, angry man. That the walkabout, knife-throwing hero was always, always just a front, and a brief one at that. It's not that far into season one when people are going hungry because Locke isn't hunting anymore because... The hatch answers it all. Now, you know, we've talked about this back and forth. Does the hatch answer it all? Well, the fact that the fact that Desmond is brought into connection with them and Desmond is ultimately the, the means through which they are all saved. I mean, there's that. Would that have happened without Locke? Okay, I guess not. Flip side is, you know, was pushing the button this tremendously important thing? No, in fact, if he hadn't pushed the button just once, wouldn't they have gotten there all this? You know, wouldn't wouldn't Penny have arrived all the sooner? Wouldn't you know? It's it's the essential wrongness of Locke, despite being right a few times. Anyhow, with that, the act picks up with an exceedingly key moment: Smokey saying that Locke didn't want to go home, but he, Smokey, does. The act concludes with Terry O'Quinn looking. As darned scary as he can be. Now, I put a picture of this on my Twitter feed on 3-19-2013. So you can check it out there. Or you can you know, look at the episode yourself, uh, 602, at the 33-minute, 30-second mark. He is truly demonic and angry looking. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's scary. Anyhow, after the act break... Uh, Hurley sweetly says goodbye to Saeed, telling him, if you ever want to talk, I'm around. It's a reminder that he's a ghost whisperer. And in a lovely little moment, the other ghost whisperer, Miles, is there too. He's looking at the body as though something isn't quite right. It's a brief bit of foreshadowing, the fact that Saeed isn't dead, but it's, it's nice nonetheless. On the other side of the pool, Sawyer awakens, and the temple storyline continues to move so slowly. Jack is seen from afar being mopey. Sawyer is grumpy. Luckily, they don't ponder on it for too long. There's a missing flash sideways with uh, Jack telling Mom that Dad is kind of sort of missing. Um, With that, Locke, the real one, is in the, you know, the the missing baggage area. He too has lost a bag. It's a credit to Terry O'Quinn's acting that he now looks kind of wonderfully so tired and vaguely as though he's been laughing at and through the pain of the world. It's been so long since he's been John Locke. I think that he really was able to revel in some of these little changes that have been noted how he hasn't been playing John Locke, whether he knew it, whether we knew it, but now he's just able to sit back in that wheelchair and and be that tremendously, deeply flawed human being. Um, anyhow, there's also some highfalutin talk of Jack's father's body being uh, missing, but not 
it is implied his soul. Um, there's also talk of Jack being interested in fixing Locke with the line, nothing's irreversible. Another little, small, quiet hint that the Flash Sideways are after death, uh, as the separation of death can be reversed if these people want to meet again. There also are echoes, I think, of Jack's comment in Season 5 that if two people are meant to meet again, then they will. Anyhow, with that, the story moves to the beach uh, and the statue where Richard sees the temple's flare. It's more mystery as someone asks, what's that? In order to tell us uh, at home that we're not supposed to know either. Uh, Richard, however, does and looks horrified as Ben and Smokey walk out of the statue and start planting seeds for later in the season. Hello, Richard. It's good to see you out of those chains. You? Me. You'll note here when Smokey speaks in a moment, there's almost a, a fake authority to his voice, though he's not quite sure how to be in charge of people. I am very disappointed in all of you. What comes next is a lovely special effects shot that is so well done that the seams are absolutely invisible. Smokey Locke walks past dead John Locke, with Terry O'Quinn appearing twice. Was it a motion control shot on the beach? In my amateur opinion, it's unlikely given all the sand and my basic understanding of how those cameras work. Was it a blue screenshot? Maybe, but there are no matte lines and the scene is lit by sun and it's just wonderful. Really, really, really well done. And at any rate, the shot ends with John Locke dead on the ground, then cuts to the temple with Saeed dead, apparently, on the ground. Get it? From one dead person to the next? The temple is still very mopey, very quiet, very uninteresting, as Lenin kind of wanders on in, all the while the camera makes sure to capture Jack in the foreground and Saeed's body in the background, almost as a two-shot. Shepard? Yeah. We need to speak to you privately. If you've got something to say to me, then say it. Otherwise, just leave me alone. I don't think you're understanding me here. I'm asking politely. You either get up and come with us on your own, or I'll have you dragged out. Because we are going to have this conversation. It's not going to be here. Is that right? With that, a fight starts to break out. Jack throwing punches left and right. And of course, that's when we see that Saeed is starting to move. Oh my god. And with that, though the uh, season premiere is done with, the podcast, of course, is not. Let's take a look at Lostpedia for the pieces I have missed. Uh, and we start with the, uh, the fact that the police code 341 heard in the elevator is for discharging firearms. Uh, also mentioned is that uh, the customs officer, Agent Anne, who asks Sun if uh, she speaks English, she refers to Sun as Miss Pike instead of Mrs. Kwan. It's not until the package that is revealed that Sun and Jin are indeed not married in the Flash sideways timeline. Uh, as we move on here, this episode, when counting LAX as a whole, uh, pardon me, LAX uh, as a whole, is the first season premiere in which all the main cast members appear since pilot part one. Desmond only appears in the first episode, the first half, if you will, while Claire only appears in the second half. Both of these characters were only in the Flash sideways. This dilemma left their characters' statuses unknown in the present timeline until the package and what Kate does, respectively. Uh, also, Ilana does not have any lines in the second episode. And Jack and Kate are the only two actors to appear in every season premiere of the series. Uh, also, it is mentioned that uh, Claire appears for the first time outside stock footage since Season 4's episode There's No Place Like Home Part 3 after an 18-episode absence. Uh, 
And moving on here, uh, on versions of the episode were to split into two parts, which is called, by Lostpedia, non-US, by the fact that here in the US on Netflix, that's how it's shown, uh, two scenes are shortened for timing issues. Oh no, I hate that when there's the revelation that there's been some sort of loss of scenes here, loss of these, you know, canonical episodes. Anyhow, the scenes are when Ben is staring at the fire and Locke tells him to stop looking at it since Richard is gone, it jumps right to the part where John tells Ben to go get Richard. Uh, also, uh, where Richard is staring at Locke's corpse on the beach, the scene starts with the part where in which Bram drags him to see Jacob. So, eh, there you go. Um, lastly here, the flash sideways where Jack is called away from the customs queue to the courtesy desk is moved to later in the episode so that it does not appear in the teaser. This creates a continuity error with Kate's scene. So certainly some odds and ends there regarding uh, at least the version of the episode I saw versus the version of the episode perhaps you have seen. Anyhow, with that, let's take a quick look to next week. Next week, 603, What Kate Does, that, that deliciously titled episode, of course, referring back to what Kate did. And um, with that, kind of we're, you know, we're off to the races here with, uh, you know, as these episodes just continue to, uh, to click by so quickly. And as uh, the end starts to get closer and closer. Uh, after that, The Substitute, The Lighthouse... Uh, and then, um, I mean, it's just a it's great episode after great episode from here on to the end. So thank you, as always, one and all, for listening. Please do share feedback, uh, as, uh, as uh, so many of you have. It's wonderful hearing from the listeners. And uh, as I said, I will talk to you all again next week for 603, What Kate Does. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye. I'm afraid of what I will. Discover some